There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, the Dwight. Welcome to episode 27 of the Power Chord Hour podcast. Hope you're doing well out there. I'm your host, Anthony Merchant, and it is good to be back. I hope you enjoyed the last two weeks' uh, throwback episodes with CJ Ramon and Mark McMillan. And uh, if you've not heard those, go on back there in the podcast feed. And, uh, you know, I wanted to leave you with something, obviously uh, not new, but hopefully new to you. You know, those were originally airing, uh, just aired on the radio show. That was pre-podcast, so probably are new to you, but... Uh, yeah, I was while I was gone. I, I know before in like the uh, in the June rundown episode, I think it was. I, I mentioned that maybe I would uh, try to try to record some podcasts in the back of my car, like while I was on the Blue Ridge Parkway. But I was not thinking of uh, how warm it could be in your vehicle in July up there. So I didn't. I ended up never doing any episodes, you know, from live from the back of my car or anything like that. It was just too damn hot. But uh, I did. I did have a good time. I was gone. I was gone for a couple weeks, and uh, you know, I mean, obviously, I realize that I am. I am traveling in the middle of a pandemic, so things did change a lot on me. And uh, you know, but that was okay. I, I did it all for uh, a couple places. I ended up skipping because they were, uh, you know, kind of hotbeds for Corona and whatnot. But I mean, really, for me, I altogether, I was gone for like two weeks. And I stayed pretty socially distant. I mean, I really, really never went anywhere with tons of people. Uh, me and my buddy did get to go hit the Outer Banks, which was quite fun. And uh, but even that, like, I mean, the beaches, the beaches weren't at least the ones we were on. There, there could have been ones, and we just didn't see them. But like the dunes and some of the different things that we hit, it, it really wasn't like the beaches that you see on the news, were like, you know, like full of people and stuff. Because I'm, I'm staying away from that. Like. Like, you know, like I went out and I, you know, I hike and kind of get some outdoor stuff in, but I'm definitely still someone where I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not really like, like as much as like, I love live music. It's like, yeah, I probably wouldn't go to a show right now. Even if one, even, even if there was one like going on around me, it's like, yeah, I don't know that I want to be in a like crowded packed room with people right now. But, uh, Outer Banks was very, very rad. That was the first time I've been there in 10 years. And, uh, I, I had a much more fun time this time. Uh, the last time I went was like out of season and it was okay, but it wasn't all that great. And then, uh, and so I was kind of always indifferent about Outer Banks. I'm like, I don't know. It was okay the first time. And then I went this time. I, I, I had a blast with my buddy and, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure it also helps that, you know, you've been stuck in the house for so long that it's like, you know, to go, to go actually hang out with a friend and, you know, to like get outside somewhere, you know, that's, that's like outside a 30 mile radius of where you live was definitely nice and uh but I did spend the bulk of my time on the Blue Ridge Parkway that that is just gorgeous I mean if you don't if you don't know what the Blue Ridge Parkway is just google it right now and just go hit images and uh you you will see I mean it's some of the most scenic views including on the east coast it's probably the most scenic part of the east coast cuz the thing that always bums me out is like like on the west coast you have the Pacific Coast Highway and Highway 1 and you, you know like you have you have these like scenic drives where you're like right on the ocean and it's just really unreal. And I don't, we really don't have that on the East Coast. Not one that runs all the way down the East Coast. And, uh, it, you know, I mean, there's like different things. I mean, they're kind of scattered, but there's not like that one, you know, like like scenic highway or anything like that, which I wish we did have. But uh, Blue Ridge Parkway, definitely like the prettiest section of the East Coast, I would say. And uh, I did I did do part of, 
I did recently learn I'm saying this wrong, but I think everyone I've ever talked to, at least in Western New York, we say Appalachian or Appalachian, I should say, not Appalachian, Appalachian. But uh, I was told the other day that that's not how it is actually said. And I can't remember how it's supposed to be said, but it was so weird that I didn't, I almost didn't believe the person until I was watching a documentary a couple days ago and someone from West Virginia was pronouncing it and they pronounced it the way that that person was telling me was the correct way to pronounce it, which I, which I thought was almost bullshit. I'm like, no, there's no way it's pronounced like that, but I'll be damned. It is pronounced that way. I cannot remember what it is, but apparently is not Appalachian. But uh, anyways, the Appalachian Trail, as I will continue to call it, um, I did do a section of that, or a couple sections really, while I was on the Blue Ridge Parkway. And uh, I mean, I, I didn't even really research it. You can just kind of, the nice thing is, is you can do parts of that trail. They're just really just on like pull-offs and stuff. Like you can pull off on the side of like, like I mean, there'll be like a sign and it's like, there's like a scenic, you know, like a scenic view, but it's like, the uh, the trail will also like run through there, so you just kind of park your car there and get out through your backpack on, and all of a sudden you're on the Appalachian Trail. And uh, I got some amazing, amazing views. Very, very cool. I uh, you know I always hear people talk about it. Very underrated though. One I would say everyone talks about uh, Appalachian Trail, but uh, the North Country Park or not the North Country Parkway, the North Country Trail, which uh, goes from Vermont to North Dakota, is uh you know i mean it's basically like the same idea just instead of going east coast it goes from uh, east coast and then into uh, the midwest or i guess midwest and east coast depending on where you start it but uh i've done that in four different i've done it in minnesota wisconsin new york and pennsylvania and uh that that is just gorgeous and that really highlights some really nice like what i like about that is that it goes through states where you may not think about like how beautiful they may be or like some of the forestry that they might have but like it goes through some really nice parts. I the highlight has to be the uh, North Shore of Minnesota, um, or of Lake Superior in Minnesota. But uh, originally the Superior Hiking Trail, I think the last year or two, um, the North Country Trail got integrated with it. But I mean, it has to be the prettiest part of it. If you if you've never been to Northern Minnesota, all I can say is that whatever you think that Minnesota looks like, or like your stereotypical idea of like the Midwest of like cornfields and all that couldn't it be further from the truth like this thing like northern minnesota looks more like the pacific northwest to me than it does like the rest of minnesota i mean i love all of minnesota but it's a great state but i mean really northern minnesota the north shore the uh you know the upper waters and all that are just really it's it's like a whole nother world up there i mean and it's one of the prettiest parts of the country i would say and one of the best parts too because to be quite honest it's a pretty well-kept secret because like i mean i i lived i lived uh there last year in 2019 and a little bit of 2018 and I had never heard of the North Shore I never knew about that part of Minnesota I'd, I'd moved to Minneapolis and you know I mean beautiful the best park systems in any city I can tell you that and from not living there now for a little while I uh being deprived really of just all those amazing parks like you don't realize until you're not there it's like yeah most places don't have the amount of like city parks and, and like nice city parks that uh saint paul and, and minneapolis have i mean it's truly insane like minnehaha falls in saint paul like like you don't you don't think about it but it's like i would bring people there who would come visit me and i'm like there's a goddamn waterfall basically like downtown or like 10 minutes from downtown it's like there's not many cities that have these things and then also like free to the public and stuff i mean just amazing but uh, yeah, so I mean, that has another one, North Country Trail, an amazing one. But getting to do a part of the Appalachian was very, very nice. That was cool. Blue Ridge was amazing. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, I basically, I mean, I did a lot of outdoors things. I will say I did hit two record stores. I could not help myself. I, I did end up at a two. I did hit up Great Escape in Nashville in Magnolia Thunderpussy in uh, Columbus coming back. Shout out to my buddy David Gello of uh, 19 Cent Zine from a few episodes back. I went and uh, said hello to him in Columbus on the way back. It was very, it was very nice. Like I said, I, my, my trip just kind of kept changing. So, uh, you know, I was supposed to spend more time with David, but just like a four-hour trip through Columbus on the way back home with uh, him and it was just really fun because I tried going to Magnolia Thunder Pussy like six years ago. It was the only time I've ever been in Columbus was six years ago. I won tickets to uh, hit the lights for their 10th anniversary for Skip School Start Fights. And uh, I mean, what I'm, I don't even live that close to Columbus, but I'm like, I mean, Absolute Punk gave me free tickets. It was a Sunday. I'm like, I ain't doing shit. Like, I'll go do that. So I drove out there. And uh, I mean, I was I was heartbroken because I really wanted to go to Magnolia Thunder Pussy. Everything I looked up online, everyone was saying that was the one to go to. And uh, I hit up my I, the person you always have to hit up before uh, you go to a city for record stores. JT, the uh, singer of Hawthorne Heights. I hit hit him up. I'm like, where do I go in Columbus? That was the first place. He's like, dude, that's right up your alley. That's the record store for you. But uh, anyways, like I said, it was a Sunday, and if you if you're getting where the story's going, the record store was not open. And uh, sadly, sadly, my heart was broken. I was ready to go. I had some money burning in my pocket, and I wanted to go make dumb decisions and spend too much money on records. I could not do that. But six years later, my buddy David, he he did it right for me. He drove me there, got me in, and uh, I ended up getting some good stuff. Got a Bad Brain shirt, got Magnolia Thunder Pussy shirt, got uh, got James Brown's Greatest Hits. I think I got one or two cassettes there too. I don't I don't remember. I had a couple other like just just little random things. I'm always these days I don't I used to like go crazy on vinyl and these days I like to go in and I'll normally go find like the clearance bin for like CDs and stuff or like nice cheap cassettes too because I collect cassettes but I'm not listen I'm not paying fifteen dollars for a cassette like if I see a cool one that's like five dollars I'm definitely gonna grab it but I'm not one of those people like I think it's so dumb to spend like twenty thirty dollars on like even like a rare cassette unless it's like the only one I've ever as I'm saying that and I'm gonna contradict myself I think the only one I ever bought was the replacements the shit hits the fans and uh, I did get that for like 20 25 dollars but if you know anything about that and it was an actual pressing too, not a bootleg that's cheap for that that is actually really cheap and those are very rare so I mean in a case like that I'm cool but I've seen like bands put out you know cassettes like present day and a lot of them normally put them out as like kind of a funny gimmicky thing for like $8. And I'm cool with that. I'm like, oh, that's sweet. You normally get a download code. But I've seen other ones that were like $25. I think like Blink-182's last album, like nine. I think I've seen that in record stores on cassette. And it's like $20 or $25. And I'm like, why? Just what? like, why? Come on, man. But uh, no, I, I found some, uh, I found the good used bins in Magnolia. Great Escape in uh, Nashville, the other one I hit up, I, I did get some goodies there. There was another one I raided there, uh, their dollar bins. Got some uh, got some great records. I scored this really rad uh, double Motown compilation record for like, I don't know, like $2 that, uh, I mean, most of the songs have, who I brought up on here a couple times, James Jamerson, like one of the all-time greatest electric bass players of, of all time, like hands down. And uh, so that was cool to get that for like, I don't know, like a dollar or two. That, that's someone like, I, I swear his bass line, you just sit there and it's like, I mean, the songs are amazing anyways, but it's like, you can just listen to his bass lines. Like what he's doing underneath these songs 
is just insane. So that, that was a cool one to get there. While on the subject too, something very, very rad that I want to help spread the word on and uh, I want to help get it funded. There is a GoFundMe right now for this amazing headstone for James Jamerson. He is uh, buried in Detroit. Um, I mean, if you don't know who he is, he was one of the Funk Brothers, played bass on like almost every Motown hit that you've heard, like insane amounts of songs. Like He's basically played on more like top 40 hits than like Elvis or the Beatles or like anybody else basically in history, yet really doesn't get much credit, nor do the rest of the Funk Brothers. But, uh, you know, this is kind of a way to commemorate them, you know, kind of later on and, and including James, you know, one of one who I think kind of posthumously has has gotten as well deserved a cult status as I mean, one of the greatest bass players of all time and, you know, a huge influence on people. I mean, his, his bass playing, I don't care what you listen to. I mean, you know, he, he played all those Motown hits, but I don't care what genre you're listening to. If there's electric bass in it, like chances are the person playing bass is probably ripping off James Jamerson somehow. Like he basically invented the way that electric bass is played, you know, including including in like popular music and mainstream music. So, you know, if you wanna if you wanna go support that, I'll put a link in the uh in the little I don't know to have whatever the hell it is, our our show notes. I'll put a I'll put a link to the GoFundMe there. And uh, yeah, if you wanna if you wanna throw some money their way, I believe they've been at it a while and I think they're just towards the end now. I think they need about another like I think it was $2,000, but that was also a week or so ago, and I know they've gotten some donations. So at this point, they may need even less than that. So, I mean, you you know, you could help make that a reality, and it would be very, very cool. It's a great-looking uh, headstone. If you go on there, there's, a there's like, the design or the layout, and uh, it looks awesome. There, there's a bronze uh, bass, his signature uh, Fender P bass on there that he, that he uh, always played. Um, you know, that's up on there, nice picture of him. And, uh, you know, just really acknowledges him and the legend that he truly was. So I wanted to get the word out on that. I thought that was very rad. And, you know, someone who uh, should get more recognition. But, you know, I mean, I, I think from the helps of the help from fans and stuff can kind of help him get there. So go check that out. But, yeah, you know, grab that. And uh, outside that, I grabbed some really good. I got to say that great escape in uh, Nashville. They had one of the best like cassette selections I've I've seen in quite a while. I and actually very reasonably priced too. I gotta say. I mean, like really reasonably priced. The uh, I got quite a few cassettes, but the best one had to be. I got this really rad Rancid and Out Come the Wolves promo cassette. It has like three or four songs off of it. I'd never seen it before. I grabbed it for like five bucks, and I looked it up online. It's actually kind of speaking of like thirty dollar uh, cassettes. It's like it goes for like thirty thirty five bucks. I think on eBay. I'm like, oh hell yeah! Like I, I scored it for like five bucks. But I uh, got that, got got a couple uh, Lemonhead CDs I'd never seen before from like the mid-90s, kind of during their uh, major label stint, like a couple like promo things and uh, like some interview stuff. No, 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 no bootlegs though, like official official things I'd just never seen before. And uh, yeah, scored a couple things. I got to say, it was, it was nice to go to a record store for the first time in, I mean, that was probably the first time this year. I mean, even... Even pre-pandemic, I don't think I got to one yet this year at all. So first time in months and months and months, it was nice. But I mean, outside of those two record stores, um, you know, that was about the most like, you know, quote on like being in a being in a building with other people, which, you know, none of them, neither of them were uh, super busy anyways. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was kind of the extent of that. Outside of that, it was lots and lots of hiking, which. I have no problem with. I, I love that. It's a lot of a lot of being socially distant, um, up in the mountains or on sand dunes, and uh, it was it was definitely a good time. But uh, I am happy to be back here with you, 
and uh, thought we would come back strong and with a guest wanted to uh, have a nice fun one for you. So today we're going to be talking to Eben Wares of Yellowbird Mantra and it's a uh, funny I mentioned it to him. This is this is like an interview 2 years in the making. I was supposed to interview him when Yellowbird put out their first release 2 years ago, New England Weather. You should definitely go check out. And uh, I ended up, I ended up like it came out just when I was going on a cross country trip, and I was gone for like four months, and uh, just a bunch of you know. And then I got back, and then kind of you have to catch up with life after four months and whatnot. And then you know, I think it just kind of all kind of fell by the wayside, and uh, never happened. But I'm very happy we got to do this. Eben was awesome to talk to. I had, I had a lot of fun talking to him. So enough blabbering. We're gonna get into it right now. Here's my interview with Eben Wares of Yellowbird Mantra right here on the Power Chord Hour podcast. Right now on the Power Chord Hour, we're talking to musician Eben Wares of Yellowbird Mantra. He's releasing a new EP called New England Summer on TDR Records. And outside Yellowbird Mantra, Eben has been a member of the band Move Out West. He has written for other artists. We have a ton to talk about, lots about music, so we're going to get right into it. Eben, man, how are you? Hey, man, what's going on? How are you? Doing well. And uh, I've been enjoying the new EP. This is, uh, I mean, I guess by the time this comes out, it uh, should be out by uh, by the time this is uh, released, but the uh, new EP is New England Summer, and this is the is your second release. I know you put out another full length on a TDR a few years back. How did you originally get hooked up with uh, Mike over there at TDR? How did how did that relationship begin? Um, I met Mike in 2008, I think. Um, it was like a long time ago, and um, I was introduced to TDR through a friend. Uh, who was in a band called Punchline, and they were familiar with TDR. And when we were, when I was in high school, I sent out. I was in a different band. Other before Move Out West, I sent out like you know, press whatever they are to all the different <laughs> labels. And and I actually, it's kind of funny. I met Mike because I was like working the lines of a of a show, you know, in Hartford, my hometown. And I was handing out flyers to promote you know my band and our upcoming show. And then I met. I met I met Mike, but I didn't know Mike was TDR Records. Pretty much, you know, like he's you know he's on the he's on the ground. He's the uh, yeah he's the, the, he's the face of it basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I I met him and I was like being a smartass and I was like, oh, you work for TDR Records? I mailed my uh, my EP to them and no one got back to me. He goes, what's your band called? And I was like, play it back. And he goes, I got back to you. And I was like, oh shit, <laughs> maybe he did. <laughs> I just don't remember. Oh. Um, so that was the first introduction with Mike. Um, and uh, yeah, we got along really well and we actually had a good laugh about it. And I think it was, yeah, it was later. We just kind of kept in touch. I ended up doing a warp tour working for one of his bands and I ended up in a van with Mike and we became good friends since then. And we've always kept in touch. So it's a long friendship. It's kind of hard to think about when it started. No, that's <laughs> it's been that long. <laughs> that's pretty cool. He's a, he's always a good dude, great label. And uh, also I know you mentioned punchline or really a, uh, another great, great band. So uh, that's kind of cool. So you've been, you've been talking to him then for, for years prior to doing Yellowbird mantra, then you've known Mike. Yeah. I've always wanted to do something uh, with his label or help it in some sort of capacity or, do a release for it so it was like a huge doing a full length for yellowbird the first one uh was a huge bucket list thing for me you know i've been in a lot of bands but i've never got to do a real full length so it's really cool when i teamed up with mike and i asked him if he would be interested in releasing something like that and he said yes and it kind of because he said yes it made me actually follow through on it i would say (laughs) oh was he good at that kind of like pushing you to like like did you actually like that's a good question too like i mean did you have a full length written when you were in talks with him or did that kind of 
after you were talking about him releasing something, then you kind of started writing. Yeah, no, I, I, I had like three songs written. Oh, okay. So you <laughs> didn't have a full length to start out with. You were, you were still no. kind of getting it started. Yeah. I told him I'd have it done by this date. And then he was just really good at, you know, understanding that I had uh, another career in writing and I could, I didn't want to get burnt out. Um, but he was also great at like staying on top of me and helping me, uh, um, stay inspired for it. Yeah. I mean, is, is that stressful trying to write in that amount of time? Or, I mean, and I know I kind of mentioned earlier, I definitely want to get into it more. Like I know you do write for other people, so I'm sure to some degree you probably are used to deadlines, but I mean, was that, was that stressful at all trying to get a full length out in a set amount of time like that? No, I don't think so. Um, I, I picked a good time to do it. I started like diving into it really hard over one Christmas where I decided not to go back to Connecticut where I'm from. I stayed in LA. And so I just was able to put like two and a half, three weeks aside to kind of try to really get the guts of it going. And that way I ended up finishing it up, I think in February, but that was just kind of like minor mixed details. And I think we randomly got like an awesome studio, but no, I, I kind of planned around. I think I made the call over like Thanksgiving break when I had like the three songs. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it like I'm going to start kind of writing here and there and then hopefully I can get like really into recording over Christmas when there's nothing really else going on in LA. And then like I mean timeline wise too like when when was Yellowbird Mantra started? Like what year was that when you kind of had like the first 3 songs and you know we're kind of getting ready to gear up? It's actually kind of funny. I thought of the band name in 2013 when I was driving across country the first time. Uh, for LA from Hartford when I moved to LA it was 2013 I think and I had just kind of broken uh, up with my band you know taking a hiatus at least Um, I think we still say we're on hiatus (laughs) but (laughs) uh, but I was driving across and I was trying to think of like what would a cool new project sound like and I just had the I'm wide awake it's morning by bright eyes like all through Nebraska playing and I thought of the band name Yellowbird and I called my friend uh, he was like, you should add mantra on the end of it. I'm like, yeah, I should. You're right. It does roll <laughs> off the tongue well. It actually, it does work very well. Sometimes, you know, sometimes people can have names that just, I feel like are regrettable later on. I feel like this is a good, I feel like this is one that will, that will last. This isn't one that's like, you'll cringe at years later. I, I, li- I like yellow bird mantra. I think it fits. Thanks. I feel the same, you know, I feel that way about the music too. Uh, you know, I, I kind of just, I do it when I can and when I'm, really in the zone with it and I don't want to get burnt out by it ever. So um, I like that the name feels that way. And I hope that every time I release something years later, I don't cringe at it. (laughs) (laughs) That's all. That's always nice to look back at your, your, uh, lot body of work and not cringe that's always pretty nice <laughs> but uh, I, i've never been able to do that so oh, this would be a cool bit. yeah <laughs> i think a lot of people would kind of say that occasionally though no I, I think i think that's true that i mean it's the same thing with the name i mean i i've interviewed tons of people who i'm sure they tell you if they had a time machine they would go back to like you know being 19 <laughs> or 20 and be like please don't name the band this like you're gonna you're gonna be doing this in another 15 years and you really don't want to be called you know like whatever whatever we think is cool at a you know that age yeah i like the uh there's a tweet that like jimmy Eat world sent out they were like kids think of your band's acronym before you start it and then saves the day replied amen oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah those those two have to be yeah the most unfortunate acronyms in the in yeah. the music scene yeah they're up there 
Um, you, like, but yeah, so that, that that's kind of when I had the idea. And then I actually probably recorded songs for it since 2013. Um, but they just, I don't know. I just, I was never happy enough. Was I've the, been very selective. Was the idea always to do kind of a solo thing? Or I mean, was it, was it kind of up in the air when you thought of the name or like right away, did you know, even when you came up with it, you're like, this is just kind of like a, a solo project basically. I, I hate the idea of doing a solo project. So I actually like to consider Yelber Matra, Evan and his friends. Oh, okay. Because it's kind of, the, it's like, the, I mean, that's not the official thing, but like, you know, <laughs> every album is just kind of the same three to four songwriter, producers, engineers, you know, that are willing to help me, uh, whether it be in the writing process, the recording process, or the instrumental process. Um, it's always the same, like, three or four people, really. Oh, okay, nice. And, I mean, throughout the years, I mean, have you show-wise, like, have you played many shows with the band or no? Yeah, we, I mean, I wouldn't say many, but we always, whenever we get, like, a good bite, we did a Echo Park Rising a few years back in L.A., and that was probably my favorite show we did. And then we did, did like, CD release shows. We definitely played around um, uh, flirting with the idea of doing it a lot, you know? Playing much. Kind of kind of feeling it out i hear you i hear you with that and including I, i'm sure you'll probably get that bug too once you're able to go out and play again I, i'm sure with you know being able to do that even again when that becomes a thing it's like well that would be nice to do again i'm, I'm sure you'll kind of you know kind of feel re, i don't know reinvigorated if you will to go out and play more yeah i think i think i did um yeah i was in a band and i you know we we did quite a few shows and i, I don't discredit um the idea of playing everywhere always uh, i think it's a great idea for exposure and stuff i just thought with uh yellowbird i'd be a little bit more selective um make sure i didn't get burnt out and uh, i think the last show i played I, I knew it was time to to write some new songs i was in new york and i got really bored on stage so i was like <laughs> <laughs> i was like time to probably write a new album um and that's when i started to do it um and yeah it's, I, I definitely like being selective on on the shows and the and the stuff as I get older and it's, it's nothing it's it's not like an opinion of how I think it should happen I just and it's not selling the band short either I just really don't want to get um it's it's a process it's expensive it's 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 a thing you know you got to like do the whole the whole bit especially when you're not in a band because everyone has to relearn everything and I don't really like playing solo too too much so I, I definitely am interested in playing more live but we weren't doing it a ton for uh, you know, for for doing this, would, has your songwriting changed a lot from being, you know, like doing something like Yellowbird Mantra versus when you're doing, um, you know, like the full band thing? Like, did your songwriting change at all, or no? Are you basically writing the same way you would have in uh, Move Out West? Well, it's it's definitely changed a lot. Um, also, I I have a joke like whenever we play live, I call it Blackbird Mantra. Cause it gets a lot heavier. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah. Very but it's nice. like, I think it still does the songs well, but you know, we got a full, full drummer, you know, lead guitar, bass, and then me on acoustic and sometimes a piano. Do you, um, do you have like, so, so for that other guitar, like they're just, are they just playing clean electric? No, they're, they're going hard. Oh shit. Okay. Well, I guess it's you did say like Blackbird delay, Mantra. Lead. Yeah. It's like delay lead, um, kind of stuff. Very atmospheric. Um, and then like strum outs for like buildups yeah they're i mean there are some leads on the album but they're just not very prominent so they just kind of take them and jack them up 
I like that. Um, that kind of sounds like too. Then would would you say like when you guys are kind of getting ready, like when you have played shows, like do you go in and kind of add things that maybe weren't on the record? It sounds like maybe you you do that. Like some bands do, where it's like we're not playing it straight like it is on the record. We're kind of you know it kind of takes a different life when we're playing it live. It's not supposed to sound like it's straight up off the record. It does, and then like the guys who are in the band are the same like three to four guys that helped me through the whole process, so they already do kind of know the song. That's why it feels more like a band. Um, you know, we the guy who uh, he wrote at least three songs on New England Weather was on lead guitar and doing harmonies, and one show he played drums. So they'll kind of like recycle and like kind of you know I got the same group of people, and luckily they know the songs well enough and. And since they're all super talented, I kind of tell them, like, they, 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 sometimes they get frustrated. They're like, the drummer will be like, well, what should I do here? There's no drums. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not a drummer. You figure it out, man. <laughs> do something cool. Um, and I think that they get frustrated at first, and then they have, end up loving it because there's so much creative control. That's a lot of neat. stuff. Yeah, then you kind of get to, you kind of get their their take on it, too. They're kind of adding their own, you know, like, fingerprints to what you were doing, you know, originally. I, I like that. Yeah, it'd be really cool to do, like, a like a live performance in a room for a stream or something to see like the different sides of the songs. Yeah. I want to, you've, you've really interest me. And I think, I think people listening to this, including, uh, you know, I mean, we'll play, we'll play some Yellowbird mantra after the interview and everything, but hearing that and then hearing kind of your, just your description of the live, uh, the live show really is, it, it has me like interested. Cause I'm like, Oh, I want to hear this like live. It, it sounds like there's like, I don't know, like, different things added to it and and the blackbird mantra i gotta hear i gotta hear it heavy <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't think i've ever that. said that to many people but yeah that's <laughs> that's kind of like the joke i like that for uh for the new ep new england summer when was this recorded like like when when did you record these was this in was this just like sporadically recorded you record it like within a week how, how did you end up doing this ep so i have like um i have another ep coming out hopefully by the fall and um and that's gonna uh, this is kind of like a i wouldn't call it necessarily like a b-sides to new england weather but two of the songs i think two of them yeah two of them are b-sides to new england weather and then the other two are songs that i sat down to write a new album and they just sounded so much like the old stuff (laughs) that i was like okay (laughs) this is what I, I don't really want to do part two, like in a full, you know, I, I'm okay with having songs here and there, but it just started to sound a lot like the old stuff. So I kind of shelved them. And then I uh, sat like writing for a little while and just like, I don't know, I kind of went back to my old style of writing for other people and just kind of sat and like listened, got some ideas of what I thought would sound cool. I went back to the drawing board and now I'm almost done with that album. I think I have all the songs picked out. Um, so it'll be in the mixing process pretty shortly. Um, so the, hopefully that'll be out in the fall, like late fall. Uh, oh, nice. But but I just sat with these songs and for so long, I like I sent them to a friend and he was just like, these four songs are really, they're kind of they're nice. I, I think you should put these out still. So I figured since, um, you know, right now, a lot of people are just kind of sitting around and could maybe use something to listen to. Oh, absolutely. And were these, uh, I know you're in LA. Were these just, were these recorded in LA? Yeah, they're all done in LA, but as far as timeline goes, yeah, two were before New England weather and two were after. Oh, okay. So they're kind of like all spread out. I think one was really early on. And then the last one I did, uh, was finished up in late 2000 or mid, mid 2019. I did it. So that was when I kind of was like, 
I should probably refocus. And what um, what about stuff. for uh, for New England uh, the the full length New England weather? Like when was that? I know it was released 2018. Was that also recorded in 2018? That that was like 2017 to 2018. I would say. Oh, okay. It, it's funny. I I had totally forgotten when that record came out. We were actually supposed to do an interview, and then and then Mike was uh, hitting me up, and I just thought of it earlier. And then uh, I forget what. Oh, I, I that's it. I went cross country for like four months, and then it, it it just never happened. But I was just thinking, yeah, oh, that, cool. That, that record's been out a while now. I guess it has been two years. Yeah, it has. Yeah, it's it's flown by. Um, but yeah, it, it's been a while, so it's time for something else. But uh, I, I definitely don't really rush with anything when it comes to New England. Uh, when it comes to Yellowbird and New England weather, I, I recorded it a little differently. You know, it wasn't just like a standard, you know, you do one song at a time. I didn't do like studio time, blockouts. Okay, let's get a bunch of acoustics. Let's get a bunch of stuff like that. It was just always one song at a time. I like your approach. Honestly, I like your approach to Yellowbird Mantra. I mean, it seems like something where you're not going to just kind of throw something out there just for the sake of releasing music. Like, it sounds like you're like, when I when I make something that I like that that fits this that fits under this name and everything, I'll release it. Like it doesn't seem like you're like worried about like oh I, like I haven't released something in you know six months or a year. I got to do this. Like I I think there's a better quality to that. I, think I couldn't it, give two fucks about that. See, I like that. I I like <laughs> that man because that's where you get bad records and shit. It's like if you just for the sake of doing it, you know what I mean. Like not every song you write is gonna be amazing that's just you know for, for anyone that's just the case and it's like to just throw everything at a wall and see what sticks i don't i don't think is the way to do it so i, I kind of like that would, would you say also then too i'm kind of getting it you don't want each record to sound the same it sounds like you kind of want each record to change it up a bit you don't you don't want them to just keep repeating themselves and sound like a sequel of one another um i think i care more about um lyrical content being super relevant um than anything else i I definitely don't want them to all sound the same um but i i don't have a problem with i liked um i like the folk stuff a lot like the really quiet uh folk music so i don't have a problem with always having one or two of those on the record um i love that like kind of vulnerability but even on this album i'm trying to make like the new one coming out in the fall the one it's still like a completely different uh, like attack I think at the acoustic vocal thing for me. So um, I definitely don't want them to all to sound the same. Um, But as long as I'm super, super passionate about it, I don't really care what they sound like. I hear you there. There's, I, I like that. Once again, I I think that's, that's the way to go about it. You have to, I I think it means you care more. I would feel like you wouldn't care if you were just throwing music out just under the name for the sake of it. But like, you know, for that side, like you were saying, like the kind of quieter songs, kind of more, more like acoustic, and, uh, and I mean, definitely, too, I, I feel like your lyrics are definitely a highlight of, of the band. I, I feel like your lyrics are like such a big part of it. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people like it's music or lyrics. I feel like you kind of have both going on. and You kind of have that singer songwriter for parts of it. I mean, are there any like singer songwriters that you would say like influence the sound of it? I know earlier, you know, you mentioned like Bright Eyes when you were talking about like coming up with a name. Were there any like specific artists as you say have kind of influenced the sound of Yellowbird Mantra? Yeah, definitely. Um, I got into Frank Turner a lot. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, when I started writing Yellowbird, which I was like really late to that. Um, but I thought he, like, he, like, not necessarily the sound, but his use of, he has very interesting lyrics and he says very obscure things, I think. And, and he has a cool sense of melody to it. Um, I've always loved Death Cab. 
uh, especially their early stuff. I mean, I love, I, I actually love all their stuff really, but they were a big influence on it too. Um, even though it's kind of a band for sure, but, um, death cab and bright eyes were a big thing. Um, it's interesting though. I, I've never really thought of like influences, like when I'm making music, what does it sound too much like, but it would have to be, you know, the whole Connor Oberst thing would definitely be the, the thing that's always in the back of my head when I'm listening to music. Um, yeah. Well, that kind of goes into what I was going to ask next. I mean, like with you writing for other people, like when you write songs and like do co-writes and, and all that stuff, like, are you are you trying to write in a different headspace for a different person, or does that fuck things up if you try to you know what I mean? If you try to write specifically for someone else, like do you just try to just write a song and not think about this is supposed to sound in this person's voice or it sounds too much like mine? Is it just better off to just write the song and worry about that later? Well, I, I don't really write too many songs alone anymore, um, unless they're for Yellowbird um, or it's like a start of an idea. Uh, especially when I'm doing stuff for, for other artists. Um, so it's normally like a small group of people. Um, and I'm also rarely singing. Uh, there's normally somebody else singing in the room. Oh, okay. So it gets, so like when you do that, it's you're the music's written totally different than if you're doing like yellow bird. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's more similar than other times. Uh, sometimes yellow bird will be, you know, me and a buddy writing a song together. Um, and sometimes, you know, I mean, some people that I write for pitch with were also on the Yellowbird album. They're just like good friends. Um, but I think I can, I think I still, it's kind of funny. Sometimes you do have artists that, are, you know, are like looking for songs and, and you try to write for them. But I think the best way to always do it is just kind of write, you know, everyone in the room, just kind of write, try to write a great song. And the thing I try to bring to the table normally is, you know, some lyrics and melody. Um, and whenever you try to get in somebody else's head, it kind of backfires. Because I think at the end of the day, most people don't really want to sound like their last song. So, no, I I think you're. I mean, I've I've obviously never done anything like that, but I could see where that would be. That could definitely be a pitfall if you overthink it too much or try to go. I'm going to try to emulate this or make it sound like, you know, like make it sound a certain way. And I mean, like how, like, it's such an interesting thing to me. Like, how did you kind of get into that world of like doing co-writing and whatnot? Like, how did you get your foot in that? It was just an accident. You know, I, <laughs> I, I was, I was out in LA after my band and I, I was trying to write stuff and, you know, I, I was just lucky enough to, to meet a lot of really cool people when I was touring from 2009 to 2013 and a good good amount of those people that I met are the people that I'm still close with today and they're out in LA. So I kind of just, I was lucky to call a friend who helped me out and set up a session who something good came of it. And I kind of think it's one of those things when I was in, I was in LA for like two years doing aimless writing sessions that amounted to absolutely nothing. And then finally one of them just worked out. So <laughs> it was pretty lucky. That's pretty neat. Who who was the first artist that you like helped co-write for? Uh, Justin Bieber. Oh shit, that was your first. Yeah, that's pretty. That is pretty neat, man. That's a that is not a bad one to start with. Jeez. That's why I say it's just like a lot of luck, you know, um, preparation, meeting opportunity, or whatever the hell they call it. Some and, bullshit like that. And then you have a what was it? You wrote a you co-wrote a song, correct? For one of his records. Yeah, for. Uh, 
his album purpose oh nice yeah that is that is not a uh that's not a bad, bad credit to have but really like i was looking on there i like it because i feel like you have range like you're justin bieber but then you have like i thought i saw set it off on there i saw some like other but like you have like bands and different things and you also have like you know kind of artists like solo artists and whatnot it, it's neat it seems like you don't like just write for just one certain you know kind of artist yeah yeah i definitely i definitely don't think i do and um yeah just, i think a, a lot of it just comes from like the background and being lucky enough to listen to rock bands that had great melody when i was a kid you know like that was what the 90s kind of were so you can write pop music if you listen to you know a lot of I don't know. This just all kind of falls into one for me. And I just try to bring some cool outside, you know, maybe some left field lyrics to each one of the sessions. And, and, uh, yeah, I think it, I, I, I'm, it's kind of funny. I've, I have done EDM music, which is my favorite one. Oh, like nice. I love like this, uh, DJ Artie. And I, I really love that. The lyrics in that song are pretty, pretty fun, pretty uplifting stuff. I don't normally write. <laughs> this, this is, uh, I mean, like, like that's the other thing is, I mean, I, I assume you're jumping into genres that you've never really written before. Like, had you ever tried like like doing like EDM stuff before? Like, I feel like this is kind of a thing that that throws you into like different genres and stuff that otherwise you would probably never even you know try writing in. Well, that's kind of what's cool about those first two years where there was no success, where I was <laughs> I was able to like go into these sessions and kind of learn how everything my whole goal was to be like a, when I first came to LA and I did songwriting sessions I just wanted to be a sponge because I was kind of aware that like I wasn't you know one of the first sessions somebody just told me they're like listen you're using the same four notes in every fucking song but there's a lot more notes in this game <laughs> like and, and you just try to like listen to people and like you just kind of like you know I, I definitely did a few failed EDM sessions before I did one that worked you know and get your practice in and, and now I feel like a little bit of a seasoned songwriter who kind of knows how to navigate different things. But I also, I also think like good music is good music. Good lyrics are good lyrics that can actually go across the board. Oh, um, absolutely on that. So. I, I think that's one I was just saying, like, I don't remember who was on here, but we were just talking about that on, on a previous episode where a good song, you can basically like, if it just starts on acoustic guitars, like you can put it in any genre and it's just a fucking good song. Like it does, it doesn't matter. It's like, it, 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 no matter what you're playing it on, what you're transposing it on, if those chords and those words and melody work, it, it really doesn't matter much further out of that. You know, a good song is a good song. Yeah. And then I, I think it's, uh, I think like the vocalist kind of helps determine, you know, the genre, you know, <laughs> especially if there's just an acoustic guitar going, if you have like Bieber's voice versus Chris Stapleton's voice versus, you know, somebody else's voice is just like kind of determines the genre. So I kind of like, the one country song I, I did write was, you know, a pop song pitch. There's no words about trucks or <laughs> I think I do talk about being wasted though. I, so there we gotta... go. <laughs> yeah. There's a little country in it. A little country. So they just slapped the banjo on it, put a guy singing it who sounded country and yeah, there it is. That's so, I mean, it's so neat. Cause I don't feel like people think about that. Like when you're like, like some of these songs where it's like a lot of songs are just kind of written the same and there's really not, I mean, it's. I think you mentioned before, like every song's the same, like four chords. Like, there's only so many notes out there. I mean, what is there? Twelve notes in a chromatic scale. There's only so much you can do. You know, it's like all music is basically just the same. There's really nothing special. You're just kind of, you know, I mean, not there's nothing special, but the vocalist just kind of changes and stuff. Besides that, I mean, melody and all that just depends what instrument you're playing it on. Yeah. But are are there any like dream artists that you would like to uh, co-write with or co-write for? 
Yeah, Nora Jones would be sick. Oh, that would be neat. That'd be a pretty good one. Yeah, I have that one. I have that answer locked up. It's ready. <laughs> you really? <did. laughs> I like, <laughs> I like oh, Nora Jones. I was wondering awesome. if that was one where, yeah, like you'd have to think, like, I don't know. Let me think about it. No, you were ready. You got, you got to, <laughs> you got to write some shit for Nora. No, I mean, even just with her would be cool. You know, just like, you know, even like I don't care if it even came out, just to like get to like hum some melody over her piano and just to hear her voice sing something I wrote. I don't, you know, that would be really cool. That would, that would um, be pretty sick. Yeah, she helps like kind of get me out of uh, the pop punk bubble, I would say, when I was younger. Um, I don't know. Was that like the first kind of music that got you into it? I mean, was that like like early on to uh, kind of like peak your interest in music? Was it like pop punk? Like like really like we should get into that. Like what what really started you? What what inspired you in the beginning to even pick up whatever your first instrument was? Really. Uh, yeah, I guess it was, uh, yeah, it was probably Blink. I played bass first when I was really young. I was in like sixth grade and, uh, I made my dad get me a bass. It's, I actually, it's kind of funny. We had like a big lawn and he used to pay me to cut the lawn every week. And one summer I was like, dad, will you buy me a bass and I'll cut the lawn for free all spring, summer and fall. And, and he was like, yeah, of course. And I did the math like a few years later and he definitely got the best of me on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so yeah i definitely was like listening to blink and green day and the offspring and bands like that um and a little younger i mean my dad always had tom petty on eric clapton cream uh you know he likes he likes some of that songwriter rock i would say um he liked folk and stuff like that and i always liked my dad had music on always um but yeah it was like blink definitely like punk bands and then when um I had like uh, older sisters and the oldest one, her, she was dating this guy and she was in college and I was in sixth grade and he made me like a mixed CD. So I think I got in sixth grade, I got educated pretty quick and started listening to Black Flag, oh, you know, nice. uh, Ramones, Sex Pistols. And then on the EP, like it was like a full thing for Christmas. You gave me, I had like Rancid, uh, everything from like No Effects, MXPX, 10 Football. Like it just, it just went on and on. Goldfinger. All the and, classics. Uh, all the all the good stuff so i was already into a lot of punk and pop punk by like sixth seventh grade nice and uh yeah wearing the chains and everything <laughs> <laughs> you got um, you got to you got to have the look yeah that was definitely like the, the, the thing and i went to a, a messed bayside punchline show when i was in ninth grade yeah and that was like that was like the first like club show i ever went to and i just remember that was the show that made me go from like oh playing guitar is fun to seeing them do that be like i I want to do that. You know, like that was, that looked great. doesn't always, I, I was at like amphitheater, like huge shows, like saw like the newfound glory, uh, good Charlotte tour when I was in seventh grade. Oh, nice. Yeah. And like, that's all, that's just like such big production. You know, it's like, you never really, I don't know. I was too realistic to think that I could do that. You know, like it, that's, it's that's funny. insane. It, it's so funny that you bring up punchline because they were like the first real, like the first time I ever saw a show in like a dive bar, was them they played the buffalo icon i think it was like 2007 and i oh, see shit. yeah dude i saw them with uh they opened for bowling for soup the year before and that's how i discovered them but they were playing like house of blues in cleveland like another one you know they're playing a theater and like by the time like then i got into punchline and i go see them and yeah that was like an eye-opener like i mean now i've seen god knows how many shows and dive bars and shit but that was like at the time when i was, I was like 14 15 that was the first show i ever saw in a small place with that with no barricade or anything it was Punchline, yeah. and I don't remember all the other whatever bands Punchline would be touring with in 2007. That that's who I saw them with. 
But uh, but yeah, that that's pretty cool, man. I mean, I could probably tell you. I went to every punchline show after this show. Oh shit, really? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No, it was like it was still a big show. The it was messed. You know, they were headlining, and this is like 2004, so it was still a pretty big show. Um, but yeah, uh, Steve from Punchline was selling CDs out front while I was leaving, and like the, just the whole experience of like you know meeting somebody who was just on the stage, you know, just like that casually kind of gave me like the real bug to try to to try to be in a band try to start this thing and then look at years later you were on the same label as steve yeah yeah (laughs) some tdr tdr royalty yeah yeah (laughs) i when i got the welcome to tdr record shirt it was a a big moment you (laughs) nice during you know during during this whole pandemic and whatnot i mean have you been pretty creative Have have you used the time to write and whatnot it's definitely been a battle. Um, I live alone, um, you know, quarantining, uh, leaving the house when necessary. I definitely go through uh, rough stages and good stages, I think. Um, but it's important not to get discouraged when things are bad. Um, you know, I'm very familiar with writer's block. I think it's just like an excuse to be lazy. Um <laughs> <laughs> so my friend told me once I don't know if it's necessarily true he's like I was like I don't know man I'm just having writer's block he's like yeah it's just an excuse to be lazy and this guy writes like 250 songs a year so I'm like yeah he's probably been right oh, <laughs> yeah uh, but everyone's mind's a little different so you know you you uh yeah I've been I've, it's been nice like I, I think during this process my friends have been you know vocal and they've said like you've been really productive like you know good job keep it up Cause all we can do is really send songs to our friends and our managers right now. And I kind of sort through our ideas. Cause I mean, you know, once upon a time I used to write in my parents' attic and now for the last eight years, I've had like people around me pretty much at all times while writing, even if they're just sitting on a couch smoking weed, they're still like in the same vicinity with me. I haven't been like left to my, <laughs> left to my own deal with my own brain for weeks at a time. And uh, it's definitely been a, you know, a challenge to sort through stuff, um, stay productive, but stay positive and realize everyone's kind of in this together. And, you know, right now there's just like nothing more you can do, but try to try to stay positive and stay productive. Do you ever, do you ever see yourself? Like, I mean, I know you have uh, other people doing yellow bird with you and whatnot, but like, do you ever see yourself doing like a full band kind of thing again? Where like, you know what I mean? Like you have like permanent members who like this guy plays this this guy plays this and you all kind of have your role like like what i like about Yellowbird is even though you have other people it sounds like you all do different things and kind of like contribute differently but i mean could you see yourself do you not even could you see yourself do you like right now have even any interest in like doing like a band again like you did with like you know move out west yeah it's just gotta be the like the perfect people that makes sense if that makes sense no yeah. that, no that, that does it and i'm sure too i mean it's it's even even though you have other people in Yellowbird, I'm sure it's still a little easier than uh, you know, like writing with a full band where you probably have more. I would say more people like adding their opinions to what you're writing and whatnot. Yeah, it's also easier because I don't have to like, kick anybody out. I just stop calling them. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. But it's it's also like it's like one one writing session will be with one person. The next writing session will be. In, there's never like too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, so it's, and you know, it's just more of like a, like a, I kind of go with whoever I feel like, I, I don't know, has the time a little bit to, to, to deal with me, but this new EP that's coming out in the fall will be 
like I think completely produced by me and most of the songs completely written by just me and not uh, because of the the quarantine I actually started working on it a little little before that and that was always the plan so I wanted to push my production and see what I could come up with um, so this will be a little bit more writing wise just me but the band will probably be the same if we ever perform ever again <laughs> very nice outside of uh you know outside of writing your own music you've been listening to uh, anything good during quarantine uh i'm really yeah i mean puma blue is really cool it's like this singer songwriter i don't know where he's from i know it's europe saw him once and he had a, he had a fun accent um but i was really drunk i don't remember where it was <laughs> but i can't i can't remember uh, where he's from, he's really great. Yeah, it's like lo-fi jazz. Uh, it's really soothing. Um, it's really not invasive. I find it really good to listen to um, when I need to decompress. It's good chill <laughs> um, music. Yeah, yeah, I like him a lot. Uh, it's good nighttime music um, or daytime, whatever. Really, it's good smoking weed music. I'll say that out loud. <laughs> And this is band Mapachi. I've been listening to. They're from LA. They're really great. I think I'm saying it wrong though. Mapache. Ma- I think that's how you say it. Is it is it one word? It's one word. It's it's M A P. Oh God, I can't even spell it now too. <laughs> uh, but and yeah, Mapache is how you say it. Uh, Spotify will help you figure it out. But they they just released uh, their debut full length like back in February. Uh, it's it's really great. I really like it a lot. Um, they're like kind of the 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 act I'm most excited to see where they go because they're they're pretty young still, I think. Oh, nice. So they're a newer band then. Yeah, yeah. They're they're yeah. I, I don't know how old they are. They keep it, but I've seen them live twice now, and they just they have like a really cool, unique, uh, organic setup where one guy's like a lefty and one guy's a righty, both like on acoustic guitar sharing. A microphone with like I don't know, it just like looks cool and classic. Oh, nice. um, yeah, and they're like a folk Cali country kind of band. So, but they're definitely like got like a little emo to them, you know, a little bright eyes ask. So I like I like their lyrics a lot. They're uh, they're great. Oh, very cool people. If uh, if they're looking for some music, go check uh, out both those bands. And uh, you know, as we close this up here, where can people find you? You know, as far as your social media shit online, where can they get a New England summer, where can they get New England weather, all that stuff. Where do people stay connected with you? Um, it's all, you know, I have no idea. <laughs> the internet, find it on the internet. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I don't, I don't use a ton of social media. I know it's always all on Spotify. I think it's, it's just always everywhere music is. Um, Mike does a great job with that. Uh, New England summer will be out July 24th, I believe. Yeah. So it'll be available on every platform. Um, Instagram is, uh, at yellowbird mantra. Twitter is at, I don't know. Don't Twitter's whatever. <laughs> um, it's at YB mantra, I think, but, uh, yeah, I, I try to stay up with the, uh, Instagram as well as Mike. And then I have, uh, my own personal Instagram. I talk mostly about yellowbird mantra as well, which is at Eben has feelings. Very nice. Yeah, people uh, people go follow them. Check out the new music. We're going to play some stuff right now. We'll play some things off the EP as well as the full length. And uh, we'll kick it off right now with the opener off uh, New England Summer. Right now here is Beverly right here on the Power Chord Hour. You told me all about the trouble you got in 
love I got too tough to be in love You think I'm acting How much is real, how much is learned How much can I change, will it work? Cause I don't trust me Oh, oh, oh. 
right here on the Power Chord Hour podcast. That was Yellowbird Mantra with Dude Smokes a Ton of Weed. Before that was Yellowbird with Hawks Do Not Share. And opening up that block of music was Beverly opening up their brand new EP, New England Summer, that is out on TDR Records, as well as New England Weather, also out on TDR Records. That is their full length from 2018. So you got some stuff to go look up if you enjoyed that. Definitely go uh, grab Evan's music. Very, very talented guy. Had a blast talking to him. So uh, And go find him on social media. Go find his music. Go support TDR Records. Mike Hollins, give a little shout-out to him. One of the best out there. One of my favorite uh, record labels. He he just always does it right. One of the best guys. And, uh, I mean, you can hear it. Eben, Eben's not the first uh, TDR Records artist that I've uh, interviewed. And anytime you go listen to them, we at some point talk about how what a good guy Mike Hollins is, which is a good sign from the artist because it means that you know, he's not like fucking over his bands because they, they all have nothing but nice things to say about Mike as well as me. So it's like, that's a good sign from a label that, uh, you know, no no one's really, I've never heard any shit talking on the guy. So uh, that's always a good sign when uh, no one's shit talking someone. But uh, very good label, very good dude. Go check out TDR Records. You know, they're they're all over social media, tdrrecords.com. And uh, you can go to their website, grab uh, the new Yellowbird Mantra, their last record, and all that good stuff. You know where to find all this stuff. And also go find us. We're at Power Chord Hour on YouTube, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Spotify. On uh, Each week on Spotify, I put playlists of what I play on the radio show. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, go go find all of us if, uh, you know, if you like what you heard. And, uh, yeah, so that is going to be the episode. Also, don't forget, you can hit me up, powercordhour at gmail.com. I still got powercordhour uh, stickers and guitar picks to give away. So uh, hit me up there if you would like one, powercordhour at gmail.com. And, yeah, that's about it. We will be back next week, I believe, with another guest. And, uh, you know, this one I think is going to be in studio. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so used to doing the phoners just because of where I live, you know, not, not really in a – well, that and also, you know, we're – we have Corona going on, but uh, this this will be, I'm thinking next week, uh, if everything goes as planned, our guest will actually be in studio and, uh, you know, I, I think it will, uh, it'll be fun, be a different, different kind of energy from a phoner. So I'm excited, but uh, yeah, so for the Power Chord Hour, I'm Anthony Merchant. Thanks for listening. <laughs>